Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation, and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media Production. Safety Engineering and Manufacturing, Part 1. Brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Okay, and a very warm welcome um, from uh, Talking Industry, and in particular from myself, uh, Andy Pye. I'm consulting editor at DFA Manufacturing Media, and we publish a range of print and online publications in the automation and manufacturing sector. I'm joined today uh, in this discussion on safety engineering and security in manufacturing by my colleague Aaron Bluchstein, and he is editor of Plant Works and Engineering and also of Smart Futures, which are two of our flagship publications. Um, in addition to that, we have four excellent um, speakers from industry today. Um, they're actually all first timers, which is unusual. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to give them all a hard time. So uh, safety engineering and security, um, Generally speaking, um, the future of safety engineering and manufacturing and processing now focuses around the digital, and this creates new opportunities and challenges for plant operators and enables them to enhance efficiency, increase flexibility, whilst making their plants more safe and secure. Um, what I do is I, I introduce our speakers in reverse order. Um, but having said that, we try to keep this as free-flowing um, and unscripted as possible. So we will take questions at any time they're relevant. But having said that, our last but not least speaker will be Mark Staples, who's a UK Sales and Services Manager from Oikner UK Limited. And he'll be talking about emerging trends in machinery safety and how to integrate technology into both new and existing assets. Before him, we'll have Ian Holland, uh, who's the Managing Director of Dold UK. He'll be talking about TUV certified systems for safety requirements and how they can aid flexibility in safeguarding hazardous areas where things like conventional cable runs would struggle. Moving up again, second in our list will be Luke Orihawa, who's the safety engineering manager of control techniques. We've, we've had a number of speakers from control techniques and their, um, their um, uh, holding company, uh, NIDEC in the past, but this is Luke's first time. He'll be talking in about reducing complexities in wiring and installation, uh, which is very relevant in the drives that, that they manufacture and how to maintain functional safety integrity and how you, to utilize safety logic for reduced security risks. Um, and that leads me to our first speaker who will, who will head off as soon as I've introduced him and he is Oral Buda and he's Director of Product Management Factory Automation Systems at Hans Turk. And he's gonna talk on cybersecurity and automation and how the industrial internet of things is leading to a blurring between IT and OT, which will be, I think, quite a common theme uh, on today's presentation. 
So with that, no further ado, uh, I'll hand over to you, Oral. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, welcome to our talk. And uh, as said, my name is Aurel Buda. I, I work at Turk. Um, I'm the director of the product management division for factory automation systems. And that is systems technology coming from Turk. So Turk used to be a, a, a vendor of components, of sensors, individual products. And we started pretty early, around 2000, to, to uh, transit from, from a vendor of components to a solution provider, system provider. And all of that is coming from my division. So I, I would like to, not all of that, but many of that. So it, it starts with remote IOs that you use in machines to interface with sensors and actuators, which nowadays run on industrial Ethernet. We have um, safety remote IOs, but we even have edge controllers ranging up to our own specific cloud service. But we also have devices to connect your systems, not just to PLCs, but to, to other cloud services or MES systems. And that underlines pretty much what we see and what is referring to the Internet of Things or industrial Internet of Things, that there is a lot of communication going on. We have a lot of Ethernet already in our installations, more or less any modern installation has, has, has at the core industrial Ethernet. And we, we nowadays have integrated systems. First of all, even modern safety systems run on, on the Ethernet or Wi-Fi infrastructure as we, as we are going to learn. And uh, the communication paths are more diverse. So traditional automation networks um, used, used to have sensors and actuators being connected to like remote IOs and then straight communicate back and forth with the PLC and that were like closed systems. But now everything is opening up. It's communicating not just to the PLC, but to SCADA, MES and even cloud systems. And that is, there are many points for intruders to attack your system. So new threats uh, are coming up. And what we see right now is to my mind, we're still at an early stage of, of uh, getting the awareness that security is becoming a more and more, more an issue. So um, early attacks have happened years ago, but still nowadays I see companies that are very aware of cybersecurity and industrial networks, and I see companies that are not that aware of it. And the interesting fact is that um, today I would say that 90% of my customers when they have their machine up and running, the installation approved, and, and uh, the machine is online or the factory is online, they're pretty glad and happy. And one thing that most of them really don't like is to change anything about the system. They, they don't like to do firmware updates and stuff. And that is where the game-changing thing is just, just at an early stage. In a couple of years, we will see systems that need to get firmware patches out of security reasons, just like our IT infrastructure is patched nearly every day or, or every week. And that is kind of a game changer. And adding that to safety systems is not just, not just from an acceptance or awareness point of view for our customers. And yeah, interesting challenge that we definitely need to overcome. It's from an approval and certification and standardization point of view not yet finally resolved. Uh, standards are working on it, but it's, it's still a challenge to overcome to, to um, have standards that allow for security patches even in safety systems. And nowadays, to, to round that up, um, 
what you do today is you need external measures to protect your system for cyber uh, from, from cyber attacks because at least at the lowest level in industrial automation networks, um, the core protocols are intrinsically not safe, not secure, excuse me. I'm, I'm from Germany. I, I told that in the pre-meeting, um, sa safety and security in Germany are literally, literally the same word with different meanings. So not secure. So like Profinet today is not very secure. They're working on adding security to the specification. OPC UA is already having security. Many others don't have. And that's another change in the system that we see in five to 10 years. I'm, I'm pretty sure everything is secure. And secure doesn't mean it is secure today. The system has to be monitored, observed. Um, vulnerabilities have to be detected and have to be fixed and patched. And that will be a big change of what we saw in the past compared to what we saw in the past. Uh, you're still That's excellent. Thank, thank you, Oral. Um, that raises a, a number of things I think that we should perhaps quickly um, look at now. Um, I'll ask a couple of questions. Do you find, I mean, you mentioned awareness. Um, do, you, do you find that that is um, a function of company size? I mean, are small companies less likely to be aware than large ones, for example, um, or, or doesn't, or is there no obvious correlation? Yeah, to a certain extent, but not necessarily. I mean, there are even startups that are specializing on adding cybersecurity uh, mitigation strategies, especially to industrial Ethernet networks. So those companies are, are extremely small. But um, the average machine builder, to, to my mind, is, does not have the same capacity as a car manufacturer. So a car manufacturer is very well aware of how much damage uh, cyber attack may cause. And they usually take all measures to protect and secure the installations, while a, a common machine builder may not have the same awareness of security. I guess the term security is nowadays, uh, it, is, it is available and, and people, people at least heard about it, but awareness really means that every developer and everything that I engineer around my system um, has security. I, I have security on my mind when I do things. And, and that kind of awareness is, I would say, in many companies, not yet there. Okay, but, but maybe in, what, five, ten years' time, that may, that may change. Absolutely. It's a necessary evil. So it does not yeah. add a lot to the function of the machine, but we need it. Okay. Um, thank you very much for that. Um, we have had our first question come in. And I'm going to read it out, but not ask for any answers yet, so that uh, all of our speakers can have a time to think about it. Um, and it says, is there a standardized security model for factory automation systems, segregation, endpoint hardening, DMZs, etc.? So um, think about that, because I'm going to ask everybody for their opinion on that. Um, but first of all, I'm going to ask Luke to present, because what he has to say, I think, is very much related and relevant to, to Oral's presentation as well. So over to you, Luke. Okay, thanks, Andy. Um, so my name is Luke O'Hara. Um, I work for Control Techniques. We're known for our green drives, green in energy, but green in color. Um, but also we are known for our integration with factory automation systems. We've been doing field bus technology and supports the main front runners for quite a long time now and introduced our first industrial ethernet system in 2005. 
Um, we haven't stopped there and we've expanded support the main uh, industrial ethernet protocols because the demand is there. And that's because everybody wants to make their system simpler and cheaper. And having one cable rather than many cable does that. Um, every cable you introduce into a system, there is time in that panel build. And that's where most of the complexities come and the mistakes. So if we can reduce the number of cables, we're, we're, um, we're on to a winner. Um, functional safety traditionally requires more stringent cabling um, measures for um, shielding, for grounding, for testing. Um, typically, there's double the number of cables. So if we can remove those cables and, and make those systems simpler, um, we actually increase the robustness of the system. And that's where functionally safe protocols have come into play. Um, to, to name a few, we've got the FSOE for EtherCAT, we've got SIP Safety for Ethernet IP, uh, ProfiSafe for ProfiNet. I mean, they're the, they're the front runners um, that we're seeing and um, that are wildly supported around the globe. But these protocols allow a secure and um, high integrity of data between the sender and receiver. Now, typically that sender is the PLC. Um, if it's the control information and receiver being the, the sensor. Um, but really it's about safe data exchange. With, if you can reduce the number of wires, you're reducing the number of um, space, the amount of space you need in that cabinet and therefore the cost of the system. So this move and trend towards safe protocols running in the system um, has its advantages that everybody wants to jump on board with. And now you can say, well, our safe network can be converged with the non-safe network for control and status monitoring. So we now have one network running uh, SIP safety and Ethernet IP, for example. Ethernet IP running the control and status and SIP safety, the safety information um, to be exchanged with the controller. And we can take those advantages even further. Um, and this is the trend we're seeing now when we start integrating with the IT system, because we can actually start selling extra services which improve the overall system efficiency and effectiveness. So no longer are maintenance visits periodic, but they're when they're required and even better before they're required. So we're sending that data up through the cloud mechanisms to be monitored by service providers to say, oh, we're very near a service visit to go and uh, exchange this, um, this component on the machine. So it benefits all, but that convergence between IT and, and uh, the operational technologies, such as the industrial control systems, quite recently has proven difficult. Um, in 2016, there was an attack named Crash Override on the Ukrainian power grid. Um, this attack was the first industrial control system attack since Stuxnet, which we saw in 2010. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls. 
the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission and motion control. Visit drivesncontrols.com. Um, that was pretty quickly followed up in 2017 by the world's first cyber attack on a safety control system. So uh, we saw, uh, it's named Triton or Trisys, um, both, both terms are used, um, named because it was an attack on a Schneider PLC, the Triconics, the safety controller. And in both cases with the Ukrainian power grid and the Triton attack, the mechanism of infection was through the IT system typically through email. Um, so the engineers' PCs would be um, infected via the, um, an email route, and then they're the, the attack is able to traverse into the industrial control system, and quite worryingly in 2017, into the SIS, the safety control system. Um, we have placed in the chat a couple of links to the, the articles to back up these stories um, because there's loads of interesting features in there. Um, one point that um, Orel brought up was, uh, you know, the resistance to maintain firmware updates or even worse, to downgrade firmware from the latest that's been provided. And in the 2016 crash override attack, um, what through investigation, they found that a number of the components, which it wasn't one targeted, it was many targeted for the full successful attack, but um, they've had updates in the field from the vendors for up to a year before the attack. And they were there, they could have been updated. The, the, the attack or the, um, the scale of the attack could have been reduced or removed had um, a security practice of keeping things up to date being implemented in that factory. Um, so whilst we're seeing IT and OT convergence happening, um, and there's lots of benefits to having that single network, <laughs> there is also the downside that we're now opening ourselves up for the an extra attack vector. And when we start looking into cybersecurity, there's a really strong common theme on where the weak link is in the system. And it's us. It is the human beings. It's us operating the machines. It's us as the engineers. Um, it's us as the, the staff within the system and the company. We are the weak link. We're the ones who click on the links in the email. We're the ones who um, you know, download a file and put it on a USB stick into the industrial control system. And so, we can talk about industrial control measures and back to the question, there's lots of mitigations listed there, such as demilitarized zones and endpoint hardening, but on their own, they're not the answer because what we need is a secure process for managing that machine's life cycle, um, which hasn't been mentioned so far um, in this discussion, but there's the IEC, 62443, a cybersecurity for industrial control systems standard. It is a standard that's evolving, um, but the minimum you could do is look at part two, uh, 2.3, which is risk assessment, because that's all it is. We're all interested in functional safety here on this call. So 
we understand the nature of assess the risk and mitigate the risk. And we're just doing that, but thinking about cybersecurity and not just human lives. And if we don't do it, then human lives will be at risk, um, which, you know, it's, it's providing that structure. Um, and that's new to us. As Oriel said, you know, it's a new thing. People want to stay safe with, oh, I know this. I know it's going to work. Um, this firmware is tried and tested. We've, we've approved it in the factory. But we've got to move to a, a different model where we start thinking about, if I don't update this, if I don't maintain it, what could happen? And that might affect our certification. You know, our certification for a product um, needs to be renewed every five years. Um, so there's already a five-year period, but would you really want a known issue being um, globally known for five years and you not fixing it because you didn't do anything about it? Which I think is the crux of the problem that we've got ahead of us. Thank you, Luke. That's that's really good. Um, uh, we will now open this up. And uh, I mean, my question, which I'm going to ask everybody, perhaps starting with Mark, um, is why is the factory automation side the weak link? I mean, you said it's people, which I accept, but, um, you know, we don't hear or do we so many problems from the, the business side, the finance side, what is it about factory automation that should make us so concerned? I think Luke, Luke mentioned that in his previous conversation around this ITOT convergence. And, and I think genuinely most IT teams aren't used to or aware of the factory installations. You know, they're very familiar with the IT layer and they're very familiar with all of the office type equipment, but maybe not so familiar when it, when it comes to the operational, the OT layer. And I think one key area to address that is through education, you know, because we see more connected devices now. We want more automation and we want more networkable devices that sit on Ethernet, Ethernet IP, Profinet, et cetera. And potentially those are open to attacks. You know, um, if we look at uh, where uh, attacks have got into businesses, it's generally, you know, it's snuck in by the OT level. So. For me, I think on those factory installations where we've got this um, network around the factories that, you know, IT, OT, they are levelling up more now, but are they aware? And, and is there a need and a space for, for education with the IT teams? Yes, I mean, that's, that's a very important point. I mean, do you as a company offer any training in, in that sort of area? So we tend to focus on um, safety technology and, and alongside a lot of the um, standards and regulations training we do, we do some product training, particularly we do a lot of our products which are networkable. So we do sit on um, Profinet, EtherCAT, Ethernet IP. So part of that product training is to make people aware of, think about your networks, think about the hardened uh, network switches or putting a demarcation zone in place. Uh, so we do have a real cybersecurity slant on some of our, our more product technologies and particularly our controllers as well, because, you know, they too can sit on an Ethernet network. So um, and we, we kind of we're passionate about that because, as Luke quite rightly said, potentially we are putting people in, in harm's way, you know, by people attacking these systems and, um, and getting them to malfunction in a, in a really unsafe way. 
great. So training courses part of part of the solution. Yeah, education, training and education. Yeah. 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 Big, big thing. Ian, what's your take on this? So I think um, you mentioned a point earlier, Andy, that um, we don't, we're not affected in the finance markets. We're not affected in Ethernet and IT generally. And that's because IT engineers are very diligent in, first of all, what they allow access to the system um, through. And secondly, how they segregate individual parts of the system. So you know, people aren't allowed to walk into server rooms, that kind of level of security. Now, I think there's no such thing as a, an unhackable network. If there is the want, the desire, the amount of money invested in ethical hacking to circumvent any system, then someone will get through whatever um, penetration aversion techniques you use. Um, I think really that um, Ethernet in itself, um, in the way in which it's structured, has lots of holes in it. Um, anywhere up and down a seven layer OSI model, you are able to intervene and capture packets, pretend to be someone else, um, tell, tell uh, a, um, a network that you are the fastest way to the internet and all of the traffic on the network goes to you. So, I mean, all of these tricks have been around for years and years and, um, you know, people have been able to do it for a long time. So I think really, for me, the best way to, to avoid um, Ethernet degradation, as far as hackers is concerned, is to properly segregate it. So the way I, I mentioned earlier in how um, those who, who want to gain access can't with the financial industry, for example, is first of all, there's no remote access via USB, via um, Bluetooth, or any kind of interaction with the individual nodes, um, unless you're authorized. And secondly, the network becomes very secure. And if you have the right level of network sniffing involved, it will stop um, or give uh, notice of anyone who shouldn't be there because all of the network sniffing software knows the structure of the network. As soon as you say, I'm a router and I'm the fastest way to the internet, the network sniffing software says, actually, I don't know who you are and no, you're not. So I think prevention and, and also detection is going forward the best way to cure these kind of issues. I, I do think, Ian, sorry, Andy. Go, no, go ahead. Elaborate on that. I, I do think myself that we have to ask what, what we're trying to achieve. And um, when we had a single wire, that was simple. We want to move a signal to achieve something, whether it's turn something on or off. Um, in the digital world, we could view that as uh, moving data values across a network to convey the same meaning. And to me, I, I see the problem as two prongs, is data integrity and system robustness. Data integrity, can we trust that data? Now that comes down to, can we trust the source of the data and how it's transited to us? And then system robustness comes down to the networking. And, and as you said, with Ethernet, there's, there's loads of robustness issues we, we can foresee. But if we were to look um, 10 years ago, would we be thinking now that, we, that a hard disk is almost redundant as a backup storage device 
in our systems, you know, we just move data around. It syncs to our backup storage in the cloud with our uh, safety control systems. I think we'll stop thinking about a protocol and a network, and we'll start thinking about a source of the data and where it's transiting finally to and how it's going to be utilized. And then we have to worry about the robustness of that along the way. So well, I've got a robust solution because I'm using this protocol. It's got these security measures. I've locked down this route. It's got the most up-to-date firmware. Um, and that segregation from um, how it's transiting to what it's transiting, that's when we're going to start seeing, right, now we can do safe systems, no matter how it's all connected up, and we just worry about what we need to make that system robust. Oral, do you have a do you have a view on uh, on the discussion as as it's uh, developing now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, you you asked why why factory automation is is not that aware of security compared to maybe financial systems or others. I think that the threat for financial systems is pretty big, but latest. With the internet, everything was connected, and that's why the awareness and the mechanisms in, in, in IT, on IT levels are, are simply available and are, are kind of um, mandatory requested. While factory automation, if you look at the history of where we come from, were integrated priority uh, protocols, so based not even on Ethernet, so they were safe in their own, own fashion because they, they weren't connected to something else. And that is what we have to get out of our minds. And there come it, it began with industrial Ethernet on the top levels, and now it's it's even moving down to the lowest levels, uh, even to sensors and actuators. And the first first um, big challenge was uh, uh, price performance ratio. So if you add to security to the lowest levels, um, those items, the devices will 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 get more expensive. And technology is just coming at us that will allow to add security to the lower levels and standards are preparing for that uh, profinet ethernet ip and and opc way but today i'm completely with Ian. you have to segregate your ne network separate your networks and we we give trainings on that as well we we are not yet in a position where i would say turk is an expert on cyber security but um, using firewalls, um, using NAT, restricting access to different zones in your in your facilities, and um, separate your networks for reasons of net load and security are definitely the things you want to do. And and the standards are highlighting that even Profinet and Ethernet IP have security guidelines where they definitely reference, refer to those things, and they add that this is the process that has to be audited every once in a while. And in addition to that, they refer to, it's not just about technology and communication, it's about people as well, as Luke said. If somebody comes into your facility, a service engineer from a third party company and has a uh, Windows XP laptop that has never been updated, so that that may have been the root cause for Stuxnet. So uh, it's it's not yet 100% sure, but but that's an issue as well. On the other hand, which is a little bit contrary to what Ian said, is why are we connecting those things? What are we doing? What is industrial Internet of Things? We are digitizing what, what we offer. So digital services is, is what all of us are working on, even a, a supplier of a simple sense of a component. 
has the vision of adding digital services around the digital twins and stuff. So we have, we have communication and we want to add services. And that is, in a to a certain extent, is in conflict what, with what we have today. So if we protect everything and exclude it from communication, we cannot add that digital services. And that is the challenge I see for the next five to 10 years, enable the connectivity. And as Luke said, sync uh, and source must be safe and secure and, and uh, the resilience must be there while at the same time be secure while offering those digital services that all of us are looking for to do in the future. And that, that, is, that is a big thing. And that is what, what we care a lot about at Turk and try to yeah, at least um, set the way to be able to, to offer all of that in, in, in the upcoming years. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.